This episode's brought to you by Notorious Fire Company. Firefighter owned and operated Notorious Fire Company manufactures and creates quirky and unique items for the fire service. Whether it's your stainless steel water bottles, tumblers, four-in-one koozies, you can decorate your emotional support water bottle with more than 100 different designs they offer so very much. From apparel to swag to stickers, they got you covered. Check them out at NotoriousFire.com. That's N-O-T-O-R-I-O-U-S, NotoriousFire.com. And check them out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at NotoriousFire. And this month with the podcast, if you use coupon code Fire Radio June 2023, that is Fire Radio June 2023, you'll get free shipping on all orders within the U.S. So check them out, NotoriousFire.com. Lenny and the crew, they're making great stuff. And I have to tell you, with the summer upon us, the sticker packs are out of control. You got everything from Star Wars to pinups and everything in between. Slap them on your beer fridges, your coolers, and your tumblers and celebrate the summer in style with Notorious Fire. A good supporter and longtime friend. We're happy to have him on the podcast with us. Check him out, NotoriousFire.com and coupon code FIREADIOJUNE2023 for free shipping all across the U.S. Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is part two. Part two with Andy Starnes, my new best friend. We had a very powerful conversation in part one, which will be playing the day before this episode, part two. Um, the conversation was so good, in fact, that I try to keep the podcast to an hour. That episode, we only covered one side of the of the spectrum, and now I want to hop into the other side with Andy. So, Andy, welcome back for part two, brother. Thank you for um, sharing a lot of insight and um, experience during your firefighter behavior conversation on the part one of the podcast man thank you so much no thank you for the opportunity jeremy i appreciate it brother yeah it was uh it was a really great conversation if you're just picking up this podcast and you're listening to the part two go to part one first andy starnes told me flat out there's two things that i'm passionate about fire behavior and firefighter behavior part one was firefighter behavior and we we hit on a lot of really important topics and uh conversation pieces that i think a lot of people get a lot of value out of Today, part two, we're going after the fire behavior. So let's go down that road a little bit. Battalion Chief out of North Carolina. You've had some experience there, Chief. You've been doing this for several years now. Thermal imaging. That is what you and the Insight Fire Training family is known for. You guys yes, have sir. a, uh, I would consider you subject matter experts. I would, I would say that you and your crew um, know this space very, very well. And so let's we like talk. To say we're lifelong students, not subject matter experts. But thank you. Well, <laughs> that's fine. But that's why my guests are always much, much better spoken than I am. So thank you for spinning that. Um, but I think subject matter expert works as well, at least in my world, because I know I look at what I know um, and the the limited knowledge that I have and just the classes that I've taken. Um, you know, I know that I lack experience with thermal imaging compared to many. And I think it's just because it's not one of those things that I've pursued over my career to learn more about. Right. And I think that it's not uncommon for somebody to say that. Um, I think what's really interesting in the fire service today is technology has really ramped up. I'd say in the last 
10 years or so. Um, I remember when thermal imaging cameras came into the fire service, I began my journey in 1995. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember that was the same year that we got our first camera, uh, which was a big (laughs) Bullard uh, toaster with a handle on it. Um, And that was given out by the state of New Jersey because we agreed to go to computerized reporting and got rid of uh, carbon copy, uh, you know, paperwork for state reporting. And so anybody that switched over to computer-based reporting would then get a free camera on the state. And that's why we did it. But I can't tell you how much training we ever did with it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like now Mm -hmm. today, what's really interesting is as technology has evolved and we've had people now that have had 25, 30 years experience using thermal imaging on a regular basis. And as the technology has improved to support the experience of the fire ground with that comes guys like yourself that are there to help educate us and push the envelope in learning more about the technology and how beneficial it is for the fire ground. So give me a little bit of background. Like where does your background come from in this area of thermal imaging and how did you really get into it? Well, I can honestly say I fell into it. Okay. Um, I was, as I told you in the first part, I started my fire service journey chasing my dad. Yeah. And that's, that's how I spent time with him. Well, when I got into fire service, I got busy just like he did. And then him and a good friend of ours, Chief Oak, were sitting around one day talking about both their sons when they're fire service. And they, they said, you know, all these firefighters keep dying the same way over and over again. They, everybody minimizes firefighter deaths. Well, you know, like 40 of them die on the fire ground. Well, that's 40 that didn't go home. And he said, well, what can we do about it? Well, they formed something called Project the Kill, Kill the Flashover, which is an applied fire science project for volunteer and combinations departments to help them better understand fire behavior. We, we basically politely called ourselves the redneck version of UL, right? Because <laughs> we didn't have the funding or support that wonderful organizations like UL or That's Illinois right. Fire Service Institute, some of my favorite people I like to research and, and quote them all the time. I quote their stuff all the time. But they started this project, and I thought, well, what a great opportunity for me to hang out with my dad again. And I was just hanging out, and they needed a thermal imaging person. Well, at the time, a gentleman by the name of Bobby Kyle, who was part owner of ISG, was supporting us. He would show up with his wonderful uh, trailer full of toys and thermal engine cameras, and I learned from him. I learned from all these people that were coming all over the world to come and train with us and do actual research burns. We burned real furniture and did real tests. We did vent in our search under live fire with couches burning underneath us at the bottom. We did amazing things with this organization. And in 2015, I spent a long time prepping for the year project. It's a year-long project to do one, and I was prepping a house uh, that we were going to burn, and I was considered the safety officer, if you will. And I was standing in the floor where I was hanging a piece of sheetrock, and I stepped where a kitchen sink used to be, and the floor was rotten. I fell through the floor. My kneecap went 180 degrees, and I ruptured something called a patella tendon. I've never heard of a teletendon, brother. I'm not a paramedic. I'm just saying, I'm an EMT dummy. <laughs> and um, I ripped that thing in half and learned that you can't walk or bend your knee without walking. Jeez. And I almost didn't come back to work. So while I was out of work for six months, my wife carried me to the bathroom for two months. Wow. Uh, she asked me, she asked me a very poignant question. You know, we I talked about this in the beginning, her asking me poignant questions. That's right. She said, she said um, the fire department is going to give you 18% disability if you can't come back to work. We can't live without you or 18% disability. I'm not against you doing these things, but if you're going to go do it, please make it legal so you can protect us. So that was the whole reason Insight Training was born. Right. So 
while I was laid up, Jeremy, I went to school. I started studying and researching, and I found out something that you said at the very beginning that is very profound. You said, I cannot remember or tell you how much training I've done on this. Ask any firefighter how much training they've done on forcible entry, hose lines, yep. ladders, all that stuff. Lots of them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what I found out is if you're an industrial professional that works in thermography and you're actually using this for anything from medical uses, security uses, building inspections, uh, target, high-risk you know, environment, they have to have at least 32 hours of training. They have to take an exam. They have to do 32 CEUs every five years. They've got to write two articles in a trade publication just to be considered certified. But yet you and I can go into a burning building and hold this device and be handed one and say, here's how you turn it on. Read that little number in the bottom right-hand corner, and it can't see through glass. Have a nice day. And you're like, uh, that's not good enough. And so I studied industrial thermography, thermography from that day forward, and that's what I've been studying, is what the rest of the world's doing and what we're not doing. And how we would take something, the fire service is the expert at taking something from an outside field and matriculating into our service delivery bucket without ever consulting the expert on how we do it, what we shouldn't do. Like, if you recall, when you got hired, I'm sure you weren't an active shooter expert when you got hired, but now you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. we weren't we weren't hazmat technicians. We might have been hazmat operations level. We weren't all the things that we do now. So how can we be good at all these fields, a thousand miles wide and two inches deep in every skill set? So I figured out that this was a small niche that nobody had focused on except for one or two groups. That was it. So I was like, I'm going to school. I really enjoy this. I enjoy showing people what's going on. And then I had to learn what the camera was actually telling me and how what I had been taught anecdotally, people sharing information, wasn't even close to correct. Mm. Wasn't. What it didn't do, what it did do, what we were blaming the camera for, and actually most of the failures that, that I read about and get told about and reports I get are actually caused by the firefighter themselves. I believe that. I believe it's in user behavior. So that's how insight training was born. And that's how we wrote a thermography based curriculum. We've taught in all 50 States in 20 different countries. We've helped firefighters and we wrote the first collegiate level curriculum that's being released with Western Kentucky university this year. It's a thermology based curriculum, which means it's the study of thermography peer reviewed by Kentucky thermal Institute who are thermographers with a board of people that looked it over because we're not smart enough to risk your life on our opinion, number one. Number two, we want it to be factual, empirically adequate, logically consistent, and experientially relevant, which means it has to relate to their job. It can't be theory. It can't be the history of thermal imaging. Firefighters could care less. They want to know what they're seeing, how it can help them, how can it hinder them, what will it not do, and how is in, in the name of the mission of the fire service, how is it going to help me save lives and property without becoming technology dependent? So that's what we did. And now I have a cadre of amazing people who are very proficient in this. We, we know every thermal engine camera out there. They have to about almost memorize the instruction manual because firefighters call us with some of the most amazing questions, which is why we have about seven dozen articles on our website because they're got, they kept asking the same question. Yeah. And we, we wrote articles because of those. Right. My guys and I travel and we share that information on proper interpretation of thermal data on enhancing fundamentals. So your strategies and tactics can be faster, smarter, and you can get in there and do what you swore to do without over-relying on the device. Because I'm not here to tell you that's going to replace a real-time firefighter. 
However, in the words of David Hinojosa, it is a force multiplier, and you'd be crazy not to use it if you know what it does. Well, that's it, so. right? And and I think, though, I mean, that's obviously comes through education, but I, I feel that there is an intimidation factor when it comes to the technology. I feel that there's uh, an intimidation factor on thermal imaging because of the mm-hmm. lack of education that most firefighters, I believe, have with the tool, right? When, when the tool was first introduced and I had my first inklings of it and got my hands mm-hmm. on it, it was really an overhaul and victim tool, right? We sure, scanned sure. for victims. We, we let it hang at our side. And then we still do the traditional fire attack, uh, feel and go type, you know, methodology, right? We weren't mm-hmm. using it for monitoring conditions. We weren't using it for all these other functions that have now really become at the forefront of what this technology can offer us when it comes to making those decisions on the fire ground. We used yeah. it primarily for you know, scanning and then overhaul. Okay, shoot the, you know, you're standing there and you hold it up and you're looking at the wall. Okay, open up here, do the, like, it was very elementary and, and rudimentary, if you will. We've come the two up, mis- yeah, go ahead. The two most misused ways the camera is used currently is search and overhaul. <laughs> exactly. That's Which is the way we've used it the most. And right, that's right. That the most. That, so there's the disconnect, right? Why? Why tell, are we having this disconnect? Well, tell me if you haven't heard this before. Fire's out firefighter comes out looks at you and says hey cap or hey chief the room's good the wall's 72 degrees <laughs> red flag beep, beep, back up okay number one fire service tips are not thermometers they are not they're qualitative they're in nature they're designed to see heat and heat differences right they are not exact measurements i can show you charts and specs some of them out of the box are off by 41 degrees from the factory. That's an acceptable tolerance, by the way. Hmm. So they're not to be used to measure your forehead and see if you got COVID, number one. Number two, go. depending on what you're looking at and where you're standing and the environment you're in and all the factors, the, the, the actual surface measurement can be off by several hundred degrees. So the danger of the spot temperature use is a, is a big rampant problem. NFB 1801, the 2021 standard, the standard on thermal imaging cameras in the fire service, removed the spot temperature from startup. When you turn it on, it's not there on an NFPA certified camera anymore. It was cited as a contributing factor in three line of duty deaths. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's on page four of NFPA 1801-2021 manual. You can look it up on NFPA.org yourself and read it. You can go to my website and Google the danger of the spot temperature and look at the emissivity chart, which explains why it's off. You can read about the Southwest End Fire in Houston where they quoted the spot temperature because they were told to. That was their department policy. Uh, yeah, that's not their fault. They weren't trained, right? So if you look at that and want to know why, next time you're cooking dinner, let everybody boil pasta or potatoes once a week in a fire station. Get that shiny pot out. Get that water actively boiling. Back up about six, eight feet and take your fancy high-dollar thermal imaginer, as my friend Dave Wagner calls it, and point it at the side of that shiny pot and read the spot temperature, Jeremy, and tell me what measurement you read. When that pot is absolutely hot and steam's coming off of it you know you wouldn't put your hand on it that camera's going to tell you that the temperature measurement is close to the temperature of that room wow so right there it should be a red flag yeah because you're reading something known as a reflected apparent temperature which is the reflected temperature of the room because it's a shiny surface which has to do with the word emissivity which is part of our teachings which is the surface itself does it reflect more energy or does it absorb transmit energy and how does that work so you need to know more about what you're looking at than what you're looking through, number one. So building building uh, construction, fire behavior, all are your foundation, foundational concepts. 
and then we start using the camera to help us see that a little bit better. But if you understand what the camera will and won't do, that can help you. So that's the first issue is it should not be used as a thermometer. Second issue is when you do search with it, how many times has fire departments used fake smoke or artificial smoke all the time and then heated up, heated up a victim or used a heated mannequin and told a young impressionable firefighter to go find them with the thermal engine camera. What's wrong with that scenario, Jeremy? <laughs> Everything. Okay. Number one, a 98.6 degree victim is not 98.6 degrees. Mm. That's your core temperature. Your skin temperature can vary from as low as 90 degrees in an older person with circulation problems to between 92 and 96 degrees. Is a 96 degree skin temperature, if any skin's exposed, first of all, going to show up white hot in a room that's 200, right. 300 degrees? Right. They're not. Right. The, the victim will show up based on three variables, the background temperature of the room, the body temperature of the victim, if there's anything exposed to see, if they're wrapped in clothes or blankets, it may be hard to see. And the camera itself. What kind of camera is it? Is it old? Is it antiquated? Is it high resolution? Is it low resolution? Is it a situational awareness camera? At whose hand is it in? And is it in high or low sensitivity? Did they wipe the lens? Do you know the number one failure that I see on the fire ground is firefighters telling me that the camera whited out on them? New cameras don't white out, mm. not due to heat. If you see a white screen, I can give you three reasons why it showed up, and none of them had to do with heat. It had to do with, A, moisture on the lens. Everybody wipes their face piece when they go in the fire, right? Nobody teaches them to take their dirty fire glove and wipe the front of that camera. That's its eyeball. It's a germanium window. It's a piece of metal. If it gets moisture on it, you can't see through moisture. The screen or the image will degrade and produce a white or gray screen, and they'll say, I don't see anything, and a bunch of gray. It's like driving in a rainstorm with your windshield wipers off. It yeah. doesn't work, right? So that's 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 an end-user behavior, standing up, uh, how they scan. We see them scan high to low instead of low to high. ISTA just finally changed it in the ISTA manual where it says you should scan from low to high. You know why they changed that? No. You ready? Do Two it. reasons human behavior, and the camera itself. If you point up and you see heat, what are the, what are the odds you're going to point back down, Jeremy? Okay? Yep. Okay, number two, if a camera is a standard dual-gain camera, which means it sees heat like your eye sees light, in low-light conditions, your, your pupil dilates. In lots of bright light, your pupil constricts. Your camera sees heat, depending on the manufacturing and programming. Most of them are dual-gain in two ways, high and low sensitivity. If you are pointing up, where's the fire and where's all the heat typically? Up. Okay. So how hypocritical is it that we told them to look for live fire and layout? And the first thing you tell me to do is point the camera at the ceiling. Yeah. If you come crawling across your ceiling, Jeremy, in a fire, I'm not coming in your fire. <laughs> you need Jesus, Psychic Friends yeah. Network, and Exorcist, exactly. something else. I start where firefighter rescue survey and everybody else who has any common sense knows that victims, when they're incapacitated, will fall down on the ground or they'll be on mattresses and chairs and furniture, which will be four foot down, right? Yep. So if we start low, the camera is in a lower temperature environment, which means it's in high sensitivity, which it will see better, which is a win. And two, we will see potential victim positions and layout. Furniture configuration, door frames, where am I going, right? 
hazards, holes in floors, stairs. I can see all that better. But if I point the camera up and the camera sees heat, it focuses in on the heat, and guess what I lose? Yeah. Detail. Yeah. And that lower 48 inches, which is where victims and the layout is found. And people think about heat and all that. They don't think about things like this. You scan that room, and you keep it low, and you see a, a standard great room floor plan in America, which is very popular. Split bedroom, master bedroom left, kids' bedrooms to the right. Big open room, open vaulted floor plan with a kitchen to the right. You look in there, and you scan, and you keep that camera down low, and we teach something called the gangster grip, flipping it sideways so you can see more. And you pick up a long table, Jeremy, and you look, and your camera's a higher resolution decision-making camera, and you see a chair and three high chairs followed by a wheelchair. Does that change your thought process of who I'm going to look for now? 100%. I hear all the time, you know, well, there's cars in the driveway or time of day. You can argue about all that all the time. But if I look in there and I see that this is the type of house and these are the type of people, that tells me where they might be and their ability to get out of that structure, right? Yeah. What if that wheelchair is a bariatric wheelchair that's really wide? That's yeah. a big patient. That's right. I'm not going to drag that patient by myself. That's the data that I can gain, but I don't gain that if I stick it up high, I see the heat, and I miss the lower 48, which is where all that layout information is. I got video of a fire department running over grandma on the way to the fire with a hose line because they were scanning high the whole way following convection currents right to the fire, which is great in theory. But the fact that you ran over grandma with a hose line is not, Yeah, you know? So, and the crew behind them with an older camera saw her. So it, it happens and the misuse of it. And then we blame it. Well, I didn't see anything. The ticks garbage. No, it's actually, it's only as good as the person's hand is in. Just like, you, if you take a rookie with no experience on a hose line versus a seasoned veteran who teaches nozzle forward tactics, there's a difference in those two people and how they move hose. And it's not the hose's fault, right? I don't care if you smoothbore Baptist or combination nozzle Catholic. It has to do with the person on the nozzle, the person behind them, and the pump operator. Yeah. It's the skill set. I never even saw a smoothbore nozzle until 2001, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I love them. I get but it. But still, it's it's the person, not the product, not the tool. Yes, there are tools that are better, but if the person has a unique skill set and has a better understanding of it, that person has a unique advantage and can make better decisions and can lead that team in ways that no one else can. That's what we call being intelligently aggressive. Well, this is why we got to educate our people, right? And we need to provide those opportunities to educate them. I think what's happening, right? And I'm just, I'm speaking from just my own perspective and point of view though, is you, you try to teach firefighters not to gain that tunnel vision when it's time to go. Right. And you want them to be able to take in the surroundings. But I think what's happening is with a lack of education, a lack of practical experience in in using the camera, because here's the deal. Right. How many fire departments only have a one company per, or one camera per company? Right. Or even in a more rural setting, they might have one camera for the whole department. Right. So the chances of people getting their hands on it to use it frequently enough under real fire conditions is very mm-hmm. limiting for them. They don't just don't have the abilities to do so, right? And so mm-hmm. if you don't, and now you, over years and years, teach people to get away from tunnel vision to explain mm-hmm. that we need to take in the whole surroundings, take that deep breath before you mask up, talk, take a breath before you talk on the radio, all those things, right? 
Yes, sir. Now, all of a sudden, we give them a thermal imaging camera. The shit's on. <laughs> it's time to go. And they hold it up to their mask. And, mm-hmm. okay, I got to look up. That's mm-hmm. tunnel vision, man, because that's it. Like, they're now locked into this device. This device is going to get me to where I need to go. And they lock in on that tunnel vision. Education matters. Well, let's, let's talk about two points you just mentioned. Yeah, please. The, the lack of thermal imaging cameras and tunnel vision. So we'll talk about the, the tick itself and then tunnel vision. Number one, what state do you live in, Jeremy? New Jersey. Okay. Right near you is a state called Pennsylvania, not too far away, right? Okay. Correct. 1,800 fire departments in that state. More, more, volunteer, more fire departments than any other state in our entire country. Right. There are 27,000 fire departments in the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay. So out of those in 2017, 70% of them had one thermal engine cam on the fire ground. One wow. in 2017. Wow. So here we are five years later. What is the, I don't know what the numbers are because I haven't seen an updated study, but let's just put it in terms we can all understand. Every year you go to the store, whether it's Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, don't care, and you upgrade your cell phone. You get you a new iPhone, Android, whatever, Google Pixel. But I go to therm- I go to fire departments across the country and internationally, and I see 10, 15, 20-year-old thermal imaging cameras on a million-dollar fire truck, multi-million-dollar fire station, custom recliners, 80-inch TVs, every bell and whistle you can think of, brand-new sets of turnout gear, and they won't spend a 1000 to $3,000 on a modern thermal imaging camera. Yep. Something's wrong with that. I agreed with you. That's our first problem. The second problem, due to the lack of education and training, you get tunnel vision. And my friends who teach search all the time tell me, we see a constant problem with guys just, they slow down when they're using the tick. And I said, exactly. And I'll tell you why. They're gluing it to their face like the world's glued a cell phone to their face in this modern society we have. Mm. We're zombified to our cell phones and tablets, right? So if you don't teach them to use it as a diagnostic tool and then put it down, it becomes basically a detriment. It's either an asset or a detriment. So if you teach them to scan, communicate, and put it down, if you're moving, that camera should be down. Because let's put it in terms we can all understand. You cut off the truck and you look at a house fire without your mask on, you have a very wide field of view from God-given eyesight, 60 degrees vertically by 170 degrees horizontally. You put your Scott or NSA face piece on, what happens to your peripheral vision, Jeremy? Limits it. It cuts it off by about... 20 to 40 degrees, depending okay. on the face piece, right? I never knew it was 100. Then, I never knew it was 170 degrees. That's really interesting to me. Go ahead. Depending on depending <laughs> on your age, yeah. it is up to 170. <laughs> uh, by the way, if you have a three-month rookie or 30-year veteran, if you hear working fire people trap and dump adrenaline in your body, you lose peripheral vision. Oh, I bet. I know it. Okay. Yeah, yeah for read, sure. Read Dr. Grossman's work on a book on combat about stress response, conditioned black, what happens to the human body at increased heart rate, and read some of the stuff from PPE manufacturers about what happens to your audible ability to hear and see mm. and do things when your your oh, core yeah. temperature goes up, yeah. right? Yeah. All right. So so we limit our field of view by putting on our face piece. Then we tell them when they go in to scan with a tick. The first thing we want them to do, if I'm making an entry into a doorway after I hopefully have done a 360, is we teach them to scan with their their technique, their eyes, their their training. Because if they pick the camera up first, they immediately go from Let's just say we'll talk about the horizontal field of view aspect. They'll go from 170 eyesight field of view to as narrow as 40 degrees on a tip. 
Wow. So is that is that pretty is that pretty substantial loss? Yes. All right. I've got testimonies of firefighters going in a door. They pop the door, and instead of reading conditions first with their eyes, they pick the camera up, read conditions high, and crawl right past the victim. Mm. We even do a drill where we teach them how to scan, and one of our instructors takes them to the door, and we show them look with your eyes and then scan with a tick. And when they pick up the tick, there's an instructor sitting in beside by the door and he just sticks his leg out. And when they put the tick down, they go, I never saw his leg. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we show you the good, bad and ugly, sure. right? Sure. So, so the longer that thing's in front of your face, the less aware you are of actually what's around you. And the other thing is, Jeremy, I would wager you're probably like me. You're over 40. Are you not? I am. I know I age well, but yeah, no, I'm 46, right, me, man. Me, I'm right. Be, I'm right behind you. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. How's your night? How's your night vision? I thankfully I'm good, man. I, my eyes are, my eyes are good. I don't struggle with anything to be honest with you. Well, with I can vision, tell you so. mine are not. Yeah. My eyesight stinks. Right. And, and a lot of us have trouble with night vision and yeah. there's another epidemic in the fire service is firefighters don't want to admit they can't see. That's right. So you got, well, so, I've been blessed right. with good eyes. I've never had glasses in my life. I just had an op. I just had an appointment uh, two weeks ago and uh, crystal clear on the vision. So I don't so need do to this thank God. You, you probably look at a phone a lot. Do this for me. Yeah. Next time you're looking at a phone, yep. Google the term smartphone blindness. Okay. And how many firefighters, you know, sit in their cubicle at night when it's bedtime and they're on that phone. And all you see is that eerie glow of the cell phone. Yep. Smartphone blindness is a concept where people are looking at that bright light in absolute darkness. Then they realize, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. They put the phone down. They oh, get yeah. up and they trip, they trip over something they 100%. know is there and end up going to Austin. Yep. So what you're talking about is what the FAA realized years ago. If you get in the cockpit of an airplane at night, the lights are all red for a reason. Mm, that's okay? right. It doesn't mess with night vision. That's right. If you turn on a bright light and go back to dark and bright light, if you're over 40, it can take 30 minutes for your eyesight to adjust. Wow. Okay. So if I'm staring at a super bright, crystal clear thermal imaging camera screen, and I stare at it too long and I put it back down, how long is it going to take me to adjust and realize, oh, there's a firefighter right next to me, or there's a small child, or there's, yeah, it's there's, a, there's a hole in the sure. floor, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we teach those scans. We the, the beauty of it is that the better you are at interpreting that data, the less time you spend with that camera in front of your face. But unless they do a lot of training and, and look object and hazard identification where they know what a couch is going to look like, what a victim is going to look like, what a hose line looks like, what a door frame, what a drop ceiling, what, you know, all the things that you might want to know what's going to show up in your camera in low heat, moderate heat and high heat. They already have that image in their mind. They scan and go, oh, I know what that is. Yeah. You know, what's the reluctance you know, though? Why, why, why are we not, <laughs> why aren't fire companies prioritizing technology like thermal imaging? Like it's not, I'd say it's the, yeah, go ahead. It's the, it's the same reason why 30 and 40 year fire service veterans are reluctant to accept firefighter behavior research or fire behavior research. Hmm. I, I, I quit. I, 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 sometimes I get sucked into it, but I try not to get in these debates with people who don't want to, they don't want to recognize any research whatsoever about, you know, how the fire environment has changed, <laughs> how it's growing faster, <laughs> everything. There are some people that are still saying that, you know, smoke isn't flammable. Yeah, and the earth is flat. Smoke. I get it. Oh, yeah. I get and it. I mean, and, and I still run into that. And I'm going, okay, well, I wish you the best, but I'm not going to go fight an enemy that's shooting millions of heat bullets at me in a toxic environment that's waiting to light off and not shoot back. You know what? You know, you know what? I have a yeah. uh, I have a hard time with this. You know, we, I, we were facing some uh, conversations about bailout kits, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I hate wearing it. It's heavy. It's uncomfortable. We have to train on it, right? And so on. But if the department is willing to provide me a piece of equipment that could protect me, me, the individual firefighter, they gave me an SCBA, they gave me a portable radio, and now they've given me a bailout kit. And it might be uncomfortable. It might be heavy. But, man, mm-hmm. I hope I never have to use it. But if I do, I have it. They're providing me the opportunity to come home to my family. Thermal mm-hmm. imaging cameras are not just for us. They're no. also for the fire ground, for the people we serve, to protect life mm-hmm. and property, and all of the above. Why would we not want to provide a piece of equipment like that to our people and be sure, and this, and then we're going to go off on this tangent, how do we... <laughs> How do we purchase? How do we educate, right? The difference between situational and decision-making. We're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. But but my point mm-hmm. is right now is how do we have the ignorance of today? 2023, mm-hmm. there's still ignorance mm-hmm. in the fire service that demonizes thermal imaging or downplays the importance of it on the fire ground. Right, and that, that is, comes down to education and training. A lot of times you have people that have a bad experience with it, and their, their last experience was with a 20-year-old device. Maybe it failed them. Uh, maybe something happened. Jeremy, the first thing I share outside of my testimony in every class is how I, a thermal imaging camera failed me, and I, I walked past a dead mother in the floor, mm. and then my guys found a six-year-old child without the use of a thermal imaging camera, and then I had the humbling experience later to find that I caused the thermal imaging camera to fail. Wow. So the first thing I share with them is my own failure. Nice. I don't preach at them. I say, look, I didn't know. If I clipped the, the tick to my air pack and I laid it on the engine house, which is where I always laid it, that lithium-ion batteries do not like temperatures above 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. So anything hot, it will not charge, and it will discharge. So I had a full battery at 6 o'clock that morning, 11 o'clock that night. We ran a food on a stove. It turned into a working apartment fire with three victims in cardiac arrest, a mom and six-year-old and a nine-year-old. I turned that camera on, and the battery is flashing red. If it's flashing red, you have less than five minutes before it turns off. So here I am, the guy who teaches this stuff, and I don't have my extra battery in the pocket because I put it in the charger that morning and got interrupted. My ADD got in the way, and I messed up. So the first thing I share with them is I messed this up, okay? The one time it could have helped me, I didn't take care of it right, and I caused this issue, and then I got mad about it, and then I, I had two options there. I could be bitter, resentful, and never use it again. Yeah which is ignorance and arrogance. That's where the root of bitterness sits in, by the way. 100%. Or I can say, or I can say, you know, these millennials actually have one really good, beautiful thing that I learned about them. They question everything, and they go and look it up. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, why did this happen? Well, let's go look it up. And I, and I started realizing, wow, this is something that could be prevented. I caused this issue, right? But I don't think a lot of people want to go past that. You know, there's, there's a lot of ignorance and and insecurity in that. So I have to agree with that. But I think how you convey that without invalidating their past knowledge, we always say we're here to enhance what you know. We're not here to throw it out. Yeah. In the first hour of our class, Jeremy, we talk about heat. We don't even talk about the camera itself. We talk about heat from three perspectives. You ready for those perspectives? Do it. The victim, their property, and you in that order. Because who's the most protected in that equation? We are. Right. And I have people argue with me, well, the tick doesn't see that, tick doesn't see it. And I'm not arguing their, their knowledge or their understanding, but I have 
$25,000 invested in certifications and training in thermal imaging. And I still feel like a caveman holding a flashlight. And a man without a tick class or any training whatsoever is going to tell me what a tick doesn't see or doesn't do. If you go take a class and read a book on it and go learn from people who do it for a living, then I'll listen to you. As Brene Brown, I'll quote Dina because I love her quotes. If you're not getting your butt kicked while you're in the arena, I'm not interested in your opinion. So if you have no background in this, but you're going to tell me how it works, then I'm not interested in your opinion. I'm, in, I'm interested in your testimony and why you feel that way. And I'm hoping that I can share with you information that will make you uncomfortable enough that you will go and share it. Because that first hour, we talk about what's happening to a victim as a firefighter moves down a hallway and doesn't do anything to make that environment better. You know, they don't cool the environment. They don't tactically ventilate. They don't close doors. They, the things that we were all taught to do in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that are still prevalent in 2023, and I show them a video of a firefighter being seriously burned that occurred in February of this year by not opening the nozzle and because he thought his fire gear could protect him better. Wow. I, sh I show them, and then I show them the quote from where the data came from and how their gear was tested and how human, human victims are burned and what happens to polyester clothing at 428 degrees. And I quote the stuff from UL and IFSI and all these other ones, and I still have people who say, nope, doesn't work that way. That's crazy. You can bring me your you can bring me your facts, you can bring me your data, but if you're gonna bring me an opinion and you choose to ignore all the data and all the research, then I wish you the best. Because I'm not that smart. I'm yeah. not gonna risk my life on your opinion. Yeah. Or mine, by the way. Because like you said it best, Jeremy, this device can do something nothing else can. And here's what I want to challenge fire departments and fire chiefs. I hope you're listening to this. Because if you're concerned about liability and public image. You need to understand the following statement, that if a device can rescue a victim up to 70% faster, and if a firefighter was trained with his device and found his way out 100% of the time was disoriented, and you refuse to train or educate or update your equipment, when a citizen finds out this information or the loved one of said dead firefighter finds out, who are they going to come for when they go to court? The person who turned down that purchase, the person who said, we don't need thermal imaging devices nor training them. Because I want you to think about this image in your mind for a minute. You go to a fire tomorrow and you show up and a mom standing in the front yard with her right arm seriously burned when she tried to reach in and pull her daughter out. And she said, my daughter is in the back corner bedroom. That is a targeted search, not a primary search. You know where that child is. You deploy without hesitation from the air brake to the person removed and, and putting air in her lungs is six minutes. Firefighter Rescue Survey says less than eight minutes. we got a good chance of saving that person. Sadly, that child dies. Six months later, a lawyer shows up at your fire station with a subpoena for you and your crew to report to court and, and takes your thermal imaging camera's evidence. What do you think they're looking for, number one, when they take that camera? Let's see if it's they're even used. Used, and they're looking for recordings. Oh, of course. So if you record something, who has access to it? Everyone. Everyone. Freedom of information. That's Act. right. So mom stands up in front of a jury of 12 who knows nothing about your limited staffing and your budget cuts and brownouts and says, my tax dollars paid for this device. She's holding up a thermal imaging camera from 1999. That's the size of a black and white TV on a stick. And she says, my tax dollars paid for this device. 
My tax dollars paid for the training that was supposed to be given on this device. And the research shows that Boston, FDNY, and Chicago, when they used it in 1999, by the way, rescued a victim 70% faster. But if they didn't use it, they missed the victim 60% of the time. That was a study from Firehouse Magazine from Maximizing Thermal Imaging Use in Emergency Services by Michael Whitty, an Australian firefighter who did a tremendous research project. Look it up for yourself. Yeah. She says, my child should be alive today and drops that big, heavy, antiquated device on the ground as the judge drops the gavel of the hammer. The two ways that fire service change, in my opinion, I'm old enough and crusty enough to say this, is tragedy and litigation. That's right. Why does NFPA change its consensus standard? We killed somebody. Why did the spot tension get removed? Firefighters died. Why did the mass standard change in 2013? Look up Mark Falkenhans, line of duty death, and realize that they realized the face piece was not strong enough. Keep looking, keep digging. You'll find that the only way we're changing is when you or your brother or your sister or the people you care about die in a fire that was preventable because we failed to educate ourselves. And that is a hard, very difficult pill to swallow that sure most people is. don't want to hear. Sure but is. It is repeatable. It is something you can read about. And we are our own enemies in that respect because we don't want to embrace change. Alan Brunacini said it best. The two things firefighters hate is change and the way things are. That's right. So that is the problem. The, the answer is pretty simple. The implementation is quite difficult. Yeah. The answer is education and training. That, and my dad said it best, though. It takes two generations to change. One, your enemies have to die off <laughs> along with the dinosaurs. Yep. And the generation that was watching all this who was scared to say anything, speaks up and says, you know, they were pretty smart. We're going to listen to them. Yeah, but by exactly. that point, me and you are dead. That's okay? right. That's right. That's right. So that's the answer. So let me ask you this then, right? So we're talking about all of that. Let's talk about situational versus uh, tactical or decision-making. Uh, sure. There's two very different styles of camera, which brings a lot of different things with them for different aspects of the job. I think part yes. of the struggle, too, is a lack of – you talk, obviously, education. That's what we've been talking about. But because of the lack of education, we put too much weight into the decision-making of the salesman to tell me what camera I want versus what I need. The homework that has to be done in the purchasing aspect, right? We have a, a lot of fire departments. You know, if you look at the volunteer side, it's somebody that gets put into a captain's or assistant chief position that gets told, okay, you're now the purchasing guy for the fire department. Right. Or in a smaller town, it's the fire chief that's that's filling out a voucher to buy a five thousand dollar camera. How do they know and where can they go to get the information they need to educate themselves as to what they need? And then I want to roll into the differences that are offered. OK, that's yeah. great. That's a great way to phrase that. I would say that the, the reason why we have a purchasing implementation criteria lesson plan that we give away free to nice. every firefighter who asks for it okay. is that very reason of what you just asked this question because mm. firefighters will spec a fire truck, spec fire gear, spec fire hose, novels, do all kind of testing and you know make sure everybody's happy with it. But when it came down to thermal imaging camera, 30 or 40 times a week, I'll get an email or a phone call and this is how it'll go. Hey, the fire chief says we got $20,000 and I got to spend it in two weeks. Or we lose it. There I got to buy some ticks. Which one should we buy? That's right. And then they'll hear, then they'll hear this click. Hello. Hello. I was like, no, you're not going to be mad at me. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you which one to buy. And then you buy it. I learned this lesson being married. 
I can fix the project myself and my wife's not happy with it, or I can pay a contract and she'd be mad at the contract. That's right. So, so for me, why don't I give you the data and I let you test it based on data. You pick your top three picks based on data and you test them in a live fire environment. You grade them one through five. And then at the end, you go in and you have a tough conversation about two topics, basically the ergonomics and simplicity of the device. Do your firefighters like it? Are they going to carry it? Because they don't like it, they don't carry it. I can just tell you that. We're finicky, right? And then the second one is, I don't care who makes it. We're going to break it, Jeremy. So who's going to fix it when you break it? And can they get you a camera in 48 hours? Or has it got to go to Austria for six weeks? Uh, Maybe not a good idea. Yeah. So the vendor has a lot. The customer service aspect has a lot to do with that, too. So, you know, a lot of people are like Ford and Chevrolet. They buy because they've always bought that way. I'm not going to discourage you from that. But I will tell you that if you look at the fire service market, as far as thermal imaging cameras on the decision side, there ain't but three right now that make an image worth looking at. Hmm. The rest of them are players. Okay. And, I, and I'm telling you that straight up. If you don't do your homework, you're going to buy, you're going to buy the cheapest thing you can and you're going to be disappointed. There are three cameras that absolutely rock and they all have pros and cons to them, but you got to do your homework to figure that out. And I give you the data to do so. And then when they go and do it, they find out really quickly what those cameras do. But the first word in thermal imaging camera is thermal. If yes. you don't test it with heat, you never buy a camera based on what it looks like in the day room. Oh, this picture doesn't look good. We're not going to buy it. Really? Where did you test it? In a 72 degree environment? <laughs> do you test drive your car before you buy it? Absolutely. Did you check the brakes? Yeah. Did you see how it cornered? Yeah. So you turn this thing on and turn it off in 30 seconds and you made a decision based on that. Sounds like you put a lot of homework into this. Yeah. If I sound a little bitter, there's a reason. Well, <laughs> no, it, I have, it needs to come I have, across have, that way. hundred percent. Well, I have fire departments do it all the time. That's and, right. And, and then I get this. This is the email from the fire chief. Uh, the new thermal imaging cameras on ladder such and such, make sure you look at it. That's the extent of their training. Jeremy, would you go to a doctor that watched a video on a surgery and let them cut on your kid? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Why we're do- going to give... Give them this technologically advanced device that is way better than what we used to have 15, 20 years ago. Can do far more than we ever give it credit for. And then we're not going to train them how to use it? What are we thinking? Yeah. NFPA 1408 requires, it uses the word shall multiple times, that any new thermal imaging camera before placed in service shall, the fire department shall provide classroom hands-on and live fire training. Shall. Not might, not maybe, not uh, if we get around to it. They're going to quote that in court, and they already are. Yeah. And that's how we're going to change, sadly. But that's that's the first part. Let's give you an actual criteria lesson plan that's not based on any manufacturer. It's based on performance. And where we pulled that data from was NFPA 1801. And if, if that's good enough for them, it's good enough for me because that's an impressive standard. Okay. And so look it up. Ask me, email me, I'll send you the lesson plan for free. But if you know how to do it, I want you to, because I want you to get what your department needs. That's for decision-making cameras. Yeah, Decision-making cameras are different than situational awareness. I just think the guys so, that, a lot of the guys that are put in these positions to do the purchasing, if it's not a large or, or mid-sized metropolitan department where they can dedicate the time and resources to do the homework, I think this is a very challenging purchase for a fire department. And um, for you to have an infrastructure out there and uh, periodicals or uh, PDFs or whatever you have 
to help support that, I, I have to tell you, I think that's going to be overly welcomed by so many people because I do think that this is one of those purchases that people are intimidated by. And I think that they're mm-hmm. making knee-jerk decisions because they have to buy one and they mm-hmm. don't know where to start to find the information for what they need. And the other side of it is they end up with a multitude of mixed brands and service by doing that. Yeah, that's They'll too. take leftover money and they'll buy brand X this year, brand Y two years from now, brand Z here. And they've got all these different cameras that are programmed differently, built differently, yeah. they switch from high and low sensitivity differently, they have different color palettes. They're confusing their firefighters. Yeah, big 100%. Time. I agree with and you. It, uniformity is a is something that all firefighters like. I go to the back of the truck and I know it's a minute man on this side and it's dead load on this side. And I know this is in this compartment. I don't want to open the compartment and go, what brand is this and how do I operate it? Yeah. Right. Yep. What does this mean? Because yep. red isn't always hot like everybody thinks. And gray, if you ignore moving grayscale convection currents, you can get killed. Yeah. And some cameras don't show colorization, Jeremy, to a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. So if you wait on color, you might be waiting on a casket. So you got to understand your device and what it's capable of and what it's not capable of. And that doesn't come by reading the instruction manual. That comes with training, experience, and constant training. And it's a decision-making camera, meaning it should be in the decision-maker's hands. The company officers, the designated adult, the battalion chief, the incident commander, you're splitting crews on a ladder company, the senior firefighter. Those people need to have a high-resolution, fast-processing, very well-insulated, interoperable camera that allows them to work in an environment that's very unforgiving and produce a decent picture without delay so they can make better decisions for their firefighters. And they shouldn't pawn it off and give it to the rookie and say, I'm old school here, hold this. There it is. That's shirking your responsibilities and that's cowardice in my opinion. And I, I see more of that than anything because they don't want it. Like you said, they don't want to learn. I'll wait till I feel my ears burning. Well, yeah. You know, when your ears reach 140 degrees, the good Lord turns off your pain receptors. So you're, you can't fight fire above 140. Good luck. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit, though, about the differences between the situational versus decision-making. So what are some things that we want to look at? That right front seat where the boss is, the senior guy, however <laughs> your department's set up. What do we want in a decision-making camera versus, say, just a situational camera? Well, first of all, you need to understand that my passion is to save firefighters' lives. In the, on the fire ground and on the family ground, two areas, mm-hmm. right? And I firmly believe that if, if if they will embrace the situational awareness concept, we'll get people home. But there are certain ones that do a good job and certain ones that don't. And I'm not going to bash manufacturers, but I will tell you, if you have training on them, it can lead to a good outcome versus a bad outcome. Right. So situational awareness cameras were coined the phrase. I did not invent that. A lot of people give me grief over that. It came out in 2016 when the Scott site showed up. Because Scott site said in their, their initial briefings, you can look it up on the internet, that this is not designed to replace a tactical camera. This is for situational awareness to help firefighters find their way and see things that they can help them on the fire ground. Okay. They coined that phrase. And this is not the same situational awareness that Dr. Gassaway preaches and is very phenomenal at about. That is, yes, it, is, it ties into that, but go to the master on that. I'm talking about being able to see things in zero visibility environments that could help you like prevent firefighter disorientation is the number one goal of a situational awareness camera. Okay. If you're doing task level stuff, you're pulling hose lines, you're pulling ceiling, you're grabbing victim. You don't need a big boat anchor tick weighing you down. You need a small device that clicked on you out of the way. And if you need it, it's there. Yeah. And you get disoriented, you get lost, knocked off the line. You have a ceiling collapse. You're kicked over to the side. Something happens. You pick up the camera, you wipe the lens, 
you start low and say, oh, there's the hose line because it's dark, right? I was taught the smooth bump bump to the pump. Jeremy, if I'm dying and my low air alarms quit, I'm not picking up the hose and fumbling with the shank and trying to find this, that, or I, the other. I get it. I, I'm looking I'm looking down at a cold hose line. And I'm, I'm following the long black snake, the beers at the lake with the boys because I am not going to sit here and die if I know I can get my guys out of here, right? Yeah, right. So I use that device to regain orientation, to get back to their crew, to find their way out. That was the original purpose of those devices. However, because of wonderful laws, things like called ITAR and EAR, International Trades and Arms Regulation Law and Export Arms Regulation Law, firefighters don't understand that infrared technology is basically military stuff. Right. So anything above nine hertz refresh rate cannot be shipped outside of U.S. and Canada to certain countries without a lot of paperwork and a lot of money spent. Because if a bad guy, foreign or domestic terrorist, gets a 30 hertz camera, they can track your family, Jeremy, day or night. Hmm. And that's not a good thing. Interesting. So why are there so many 9 hertz cameras? Number one reason? Money. Yeah. Because they can ship them anywhere in the world without any restrictions. 9 hertz is three times slower than your God-given eyesight, quote Chief John Lightley, one of my instructors. I love listening to my guys teach because I give them the basics and they come up with the most amazing gold cool. nuggets of wisdom. Yeah, I love it. And he's, that. like, That's cool. he's like, why would you buy that? It's three times slower than your God-given eyesight. I'm like, this is brilliant. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Um, <laughs> but, but I know why that it was made there. It's not necessarily the manufacturer's fault is they're trying to play the game within the restrictions that they're given, right? Sure. It's a business. But, but it's a business. But the, if the business is life safety, Jeremy, and you're in trouble, and you're scanning, you're burning up, you're in pain, are you going to wait on a 9 hertz camera to catch right. up? Right. You're not. So we've helped fire departments that have bought those and give them some cheats, some hacks to help them with certain things. But I recommend the cameras that are faster, right? And they're a higher resolution that give them the ability to see and find their way out. But you've got to train your firefighters on regaining orientation. You've got to set up drills with real smoke and set up issues where they become disoriented and teach them to identify things that can get them back to their crew to find their way out. Jeremy, how many commercial buildings have you been in that have a public door that has a panic bar across it, that big metal panic bar? Yeah, how many have you been in and you've seen it? Okay. Have you ever looked through a thermal engine camera and looked at that panic bar and seen what it looks like? I don't know. I don't think so. All right. So what is it made of? Uh, I think it's aluminum, isn't it? Yeah, it's a shiny metal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Shiny, yeah. So right. Shiny so, objects. Shiny yep. objects reflect energy and look differently through a thermal engine camera. We just talked about the, t the pot on the stove with the water, right? That's right. So they're called low emissivity objects. Firefighters don't pay attention to the word emissivity, but if you're a homeowner, you've heard it before. Because if you went in a home improvement store and walked by the windows, you saw a sticker that said low E glass. Yes. But nobody looks to see what the E stands for. Wow. Emissivity is the ability of an object to emit, absorb, or reflect energy numerically between zero and one. Zero being a perfect mirror, a shiny surface. Well, one being a perfect black body, which is what thermal engine cameras are calibrated and tested on. Hmm. Firefighters are not going to remember that. Here's what you're going to remember. If it's shiny, it'll burn your hiney. Don't touch it. And if it's rough, I can trust it. Well, shiny surfaces stick out like sore thumbs on a thermal engine camera, such as the UAC connection on your SCBA bottle, the metal clip on the back of an SCBA bottle, the panic bar on a door, a metal door handle, a metal door frame or metal window frame. Yep. Right? Yep. Think about all those things. If you understand infrastructure, as I said in the first one, if you know more about what you're looking at than what you're looking through, you will find your way home. You will find your way out. You will find the victim. You will find the things that nobody else will find. 
that can be done with a situational awareness camera to help them in those aspects. But the other side of this coin, Jeremy, that nobody talks about is 1.2 million firefighters in the United States, 900,000 of them are a combination of volunteer. Yep. You think they have the budgets that my department and your department has? Probably not. So a personal camera may be something that they buy. So what are, what are they going to buy? They need to have their own matrix, which we're about to release, by the way, a testing plan for situational awareness cameras with a free lesson plan on object and hazard identification. Why are we doing that? Because I don't want people to die. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's it. So there's your, your five-minute version. If you go on my YouTube channel, there's 700 videos, 360 of them are mine, and they're categorized. There's, if you go under webinars, there's free webinars on these topics. I love it. You can watch them. Hopefully. I will. I will. And we're going to share some of them too, because I think that this topic just requires as much conversation as we can drum up about it. Um, to yeah, be honest with you, I started off the part one episode yesterday when we were talking about, you know, I don't remember the last time I took a thermal imaging class, right? It was like when the camera was implemented and we were given a 10 minute hands-on and, uh, and a 20 minute uh, PowerPoint and then, okay, here's your piece of equipment. And we've upgraded over time. We've, we've bought different cameras. We've upgraded over time. Like I just said, and like how much training has come with it, right? How often is that tool considered part of your primary equipment that's going in the fire ground? How many officers, especially in a volunteer house, are forgetting to clip it to themselves, forgetting that it's there, right? It's an afterthought. And, and we can't make a piece of equipment with the technology that it offers nowadays. We can't make something like that an afterthought on the fire ground when, in fact, according to you and the surveys, 70% faster in finding victims, fire victims. Yes, sir. I mean, these, yes, are, these are numbers that matter. This is where I think when we have the data now, thermal imaging cameras have been in the industry for over 30 years. Am I wrong in that statement? I think it's been probably no, a, right. They've been they handhelds were released in the nineties. Yeah. They've been, it's been around since the sixties, but as far as handhelds, it's in the nineties. So what's really interesting about that and where I'm going with that chief is that, you know, at the end of the day, we have 30 years of data. Yeah. How do we, how oh, do we oh, ignore sure. the data? How do we ignore the science and the technology as the technology improves? You used the iPhone statement before we continually upgrade our own personal equipment at home, the better phone, the third lens on the camera, because I can get a better selfie of myself to post Instagram, like <laughs> all this craziness that we get jammed up with, but we yes, don't, tra- but we don't translate that to the front seat or to the back seat of the engine of the truck and putting it into the equipment that can make a significant difference, not just for the people we serve, but our own guys and girls that are riding with us. And I think that comes down to, like you said, the education and training is not there. The person making the decision, like you said, doesn't doesn't have the opportunity or the yeah. background to appreciate it. They buy based on what the salesperson sells. God bless them. There's good salespersons out there, and some super educated, some are not. But that's in the fire service. You have the same thing. You've got good firefighters and you've got that's firefighters, right. average ones. Yeah. But the point being is don't buy something without doing your homework. Don't be right? intimidated yeah. and don't shy away from the from the potential of having to do your homework. You gotta do it. And, that, and they're not. They're they're I think it comes down to a combination of factors. Guys are overwhelmed, they got too much to do, and they add one more task to their list. Ah, I gotta buy cameras. I know nothing about cameras. I got an email from a guy a couple years ago. He said, I'm the training officer, I have to do all this. And the chief's tasked me with this, and I got six weeks to get it done. Uh, I, I don't have time to learn all this. I want you to send me my, your entire program so I can just figure it out. 
He wanted me to send him my entire program. And my response was, it's a 32-hour program, sir. The Google Drive is 300 gigabyte. It will take you a year to read it. You have six weeks. I wish you the best. You know, uh, my guys have to read 3,000 pages of material and take a 32-hour class before I let them talk in front of somebody. Wow. I want them. I want if you're a train officer, you're somebody in charge of this, we can give you the basics in an easy to understand format, but you got to do some work. That's right. You got to know, like, if you're going to grade them and I give you the concepts to grade, you need to know what that concept means. When I say temperature modes, what does that mean? Yeah. When I say field of view, what does that mean? I get this all the time, Jeremy, you'll blow your mind. They'll say, oh, we want you to come in and do a tick class, but we want, we want some intermediate or advanced stuff. I said, okay, <laughs> define that. Yeah. They're like, well, we want to do search and do this, this. And I said, all right, I will give you an intermediate advanced class if you can define the following to me. And he's like, all right. I said, define field of view and how it affects your ability to make decisions and how you might miss the victim, the fire, and things that could cost you your life. You know what yours is on your camera? No. All right. You know what? All right. Define temperature modes of your camera, what they are, when your camera switches, how many pixels it takes, at what percentage, when does it gauge color, and how long does it take when it does it? Is there a delay? And what does that look like in low temperatures and high temperatures? No answer. And I Black said, tell me, tell me your color palette of your camera when it engages, what color means what, color temperature correlation, and are there any other options of your camera? Does it have additional color palettes, and what should they be used for? No answer. What is the resolution of your camera, the thermal sensitivity of it, and how will that affect your ability to see a small child's hand if you're a door frame searching for a victim? You understand Johnson's criteria, detect, recognize, and identify what the military uses for thermal imaging and how that works. No answer. I said, do you understand emissivity and how it affects the ability of the camera to affect measurement? And do you understand that the spot temperature should not be used in firefighting? that one they go what do you mean yeah we've always used that so if we don't understand those then we can't go into size up and fire attack and search because we don't even have a fundamental understanding of what the, the data means and how it affects your decision making we've got to fix that part first which is why we wrote, wrote that wrote that curriculum that's why we have free stuff everywhere that's why we have i mean yes you can bring this in for training but i grew up in a volunteer department that had no money i get it we have stuff available for free everywhere and it's there it's awesome. but will people sit down and take the time to read it even if i send it to them right because i hear people they arguing still about gotta do the work, Chief. Facebook, they still gotta they do the work they still gotta do the 700 page paper that's right hey a national and national fire radio world i can tell people all day long how to hack attention on social media build a podcast build a business based around what we do i tell people mm -hmm. all the time i give away my stuff for free all the time. You know why? Because only one out of ten is ever going to try to do it. Yeah, you right. got to do the work. You're it right. takes I, I, work. You are spot on. I set up seven hundred Dropbox folders three years ago for different departments that we trained. Each Dropbox folder was customized with resources specific to them. Out of those seven hundred departments, here we go. Guess how many? Uh, guess drum, how many of them? Drum roll. Yeah, I three fifty eight. Yeah, yeah, fifty eight. 700 individuals, 58 took the time to look at it. Those are the 58 that's going to make the difference, right? But like I said, I learned really quickly. Now I'll make one big folder and give access to everybody who takes the class because then they know they at least have a basic understanding and they can keep going. Whether they use this again or not is not my concern. 
My concern is you have a fundamental understanding before I give you all these other things that you can use to develop your own program, to write your own policies, to understand the specific differences between an older Bullard and a newer Bullard, an older FLIR and a newer FLIR, or why the seat camera has mixed game mode and why these have this one. I, we can explain that to you. And we're not tied commission-wise to any manufacturer. So if you buy XYZ brand, great, as long as you're happy with it. Yeah. It's not going to hurt my back pocket. So I'm not going to push it on you. I got 50 cameras in my thermal in my van, Jeremy. They can pick up the camera they want and try it out. I like three of them a lot. But they've got to start understanding that until they train and educate themselves on it, it doesn't matter what brand it is. If it's un in untrained hands, it's not a good device. Yeah. Wow. Another banging hour, Chief. Anything else about, I mean, I, there's so much, obviously. I mean, but I'm just, anything that you want to share in fire behavior or thermal imaging with the audience before we start to wrap. I mean, I, I, there's, I mean, yeah. I know we just literally just scratched, scratched the surface, but is there my, anything my question, that, go ahead, please. My question or challenge to you, a firefighter, please, who is well-trained in sizing up a building would be to ask them this. You read the building, you read the smoke, you read all the conditions around you. What's the one thing you're missing? And that data doesn't do any good, Jeremy. If 50% of the time, the one device that can see that is left on the charger of the fire truck. Mm. So if you understand that building science guys, guys who inspect buildings for a living, can find problems in buildings such as insulation voids, right. pest infestations, water leaks. They can even find bad windows, Jeremy, with a thermal engine camera. Absolutely. If they can, if they can do all that when a building's not on fire and they only need a 20 degree temperature differential from the inside of the building to the outside to do so. Would you agree with me that a building that's on fire, there's going to be a bigger difference than 20 degrees from the inside, the outside. And there's more than likely a good chance if they're properly trained in interpretation, they'll be able to know where the fire is, critical infrastructure of the building. And when they do that initial scan at the front door, they have just created themselves a 60 to 90 second pre-plan, a 360 an initial look, is the most valuable thing you can do before you make entry of that building. If the camera fails you at that point, at least you know the structure, you know where the layout is, you know the hottest part, the coldest spot, and you know where to stretch your line and where to start your search, which is part of our tactical benchmarks, our incident action plan, life, incident property, all of that ties in to simply carrying the device and interpreting the data properly. That's what I would challenge them to do. Interpreting the data properly. I love it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love That's it. it. Chief Andy Starnes, thank you, brother. I appreciate you, you joining sir. me again for part two on the podcast. This has been two hours that I have absolutely enjoyed. Um, you know, leading up to this, you and I really didn't have much of a story together. Uh, but I am looking forward to the next chapter. And uh, I wish you nothing but, uh, you know, success, happiness with all of it. Um, and I just want to thank you sincerely. Thank you for spending some time out of your busy schedule with me for the last two and a half hours. Um, it's been a great go, man. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for the opportunity, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, good. Uh, just on this episode also, where can people find you, reach out to you if they have questions, comments? And I know you mentioned the YouTube channel too, so just mention that also. Well, if you're looking for thermal imaging resources, one, go to our website. We have a blog that's free. that has dozens and dozens of articles that's been written strictly because people kept asking great questions. So we wrote articles on it. It's insighttrainingllc.com. Go there and go to the blog. You actually have to click a tab and go forward. Don't hit contact me and say, <laughs> where'd you say it was again? Nice, yeah. 
because 70% of the people who visit our website never go past the first page. Of course. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an analytics guy like you. Uh, if you are on Facebook, we have a private Facebook group called Tactical Thermal Imaging where we give away free resources. There's 8,000 members with over 1,000 topics and several hundred files uploaded. Go type in Tactical Thermal Imaging, hit join, and you have to answer two questions. If you don't answer the two questions, I think you're a robot. You don't get in. Okay. I don't put up with any junk, no fighting, no bad stuff. It's just thermal imaging and first responders. That's it. Got it. That's all we allow. Good. Then our YouTube channel is organized in playlists. Go to Insight Training LLC. You'll see a picture of an antique fire truck with ticks laying across the table. And you hit playlist, and then you look. There's size up, basement fire, fire attack, search. There's FLIR, Bullard, Seek, uh, MSA, whatever. It's all there. Cool. And you can use it. And then there's even one called webinars and class excerpts, like little five, 10 minute little things of our classes we filmed around the country. They're there. And they're my guys are teaching. I'm teaching on there. There's a bunch of stuff on there. Then we also have a private subscription channel called Patreon, 20 bucks a month. You can watch all of our pre recorded webinars, unlimited insight fire training on Patreon. Cool. And we have all that. And then you can check out all of our standard social media stuff. We're on Facebook. We're on uh, Instagram, we're on Twitter, we have two pages, we're on LinkedIn in two places. My instructors, uh, Joey Baxa, who's gonna be teaching his class at Firehouse Expo this year. Uh, we're doing, a, doing his minimum staffing class using thermal engine tactics in it, please check that out. Thomas Anderson, who does search stuff, phenomenal guy, we did his search class at FDIC this year. Chief John Lightley is a phenomenal guy from Youngstown, Ohio, does a great stuff on company officer and size up. Uh, Tim Mills, Reagan Underwood, all those are my lead guys, but then I have a bunch of guys with me from all over. I've got guys from Louisiana, like John Davis, and of course, Reagan Underwood, who is a phenomenal guy. He's one of my lead instructors now, who is probably one of the better guys explaining fire behavior for a guy his age. He's phenomenal at that. Uh, you need to check him out. I got, uh, I got my guys from all over from Maine. I got Pat Heathcote. I've got Rob Foreman from Topeka, Kansas. Rob Hammond from uh, Illinois. I teach with Sean Wopker from Max Firebox. I've got Hudson Babbler from Dallas, Texas. I've got guys all over the place now, and I'm blessed. I've got Samuel Adams, who's from Kern County, California. I've got just phenomenal people that make me smarter. I love it. You know, they're just, just phenomenal people, and I'm blessed to have them because it's all about making them better so they take your place in life. That's what they say, true succession doesn't happen without making others successful. That's a John Maxwell quote. Yep. That's the key. My guys have to be far more successful than I was. And that's what I want for them. I don't know if they know that, but that's what I want for them. Absolutely. Well, Chief, thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, We'll post some of the links in the uh, comment, in the, uh, the section, uh, the description of the podcast and so on, so people can toggle through and find the links there as well. But uh, Andy Starnes, thank you, brother. Insight Fire Training, thank you for joining me today. Part one and part two on the podcast. Two great hours with you, um, and thank you. The focus on fire behavior and firefighter behavior. It's been just two great episodes. So thank you, brother. Stay right here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast, and I'm going to come right back to you, okay? So hang on one second. Yes, sir. Great. Thank you. Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast, part one and part two with Andy Starnes, man. These have been full episodes with tons of knowledge coming from an experienced chief um, with a lot to share. 
And, uh, well, anyway, I enjoy conversations like this more than you know. That's why I get to do this. It's a selfish endeavor for me. I talk about it all the time because I need people like Andy Starnes in my life because I feel like they make me better. And so I challenge you this. Take the podcast, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it because when you talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. 